For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As the Apostle Paul begins to conclude his letter to the Colossians, his final instructions have to do with impacting those who don't know the Lord. God has saved us to be a blessing to others. Now here's a message entitled, Letting Our Light Shine. All righty, we are headed this morning to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 2. Now, the preceding verses have been covered verbatim Uh, in uh, Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians are called twin epistles. They share half their verses in common. So it wasn't so long ago that I preached three sermons on the preceding text. Uh, So if you're interested in, you missed that, you know, it's on the newfangled website. All you have to do (laughs) is click Ephesians chapter five and six and you'll get those three sermons. But for now, we're headed to Colossians chapter four. Now, Heavenly Father, we always like to just bow before you and have your Holy Spirit kind of quiet our hearts and focus our minds on your word. We recognize that your word does not have its origin in any man, but it is God-breathed through the vessels that you chose uh, to communicate a message of life. Help us to hear and understand and put into practice so we could be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus really liked to simplify things and make things easy to understand. And, you know, he'd boil down things to one or two sentences, like the purpose for his coming. I mean, in one sentence, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. That pretty much says it all and tells us what's going on. Once somebody has been found, he says, you have crossed over from death into life, and we're expected to join with him in the search and rescue uh, for others. And he used this beautiful, simple um, analogy. He said, first of all, of himself, I'm the light of the world. If anybody follow me, trust in me, they'll never stumble around in darkness, but have the light of life. And so when we come to know him, uh, we open our hearts and the light of the world comes into our hearts and then we join him being light in this dark world to impact others, right? So we're not just saved uh, as in uh, the ends of God's purposes aren't just to save us and that's where you put a period, but we're saved to save, to help in that. And Jesus used a beautiful analogy. He says, now... Once the light of the world comes inside, the light comes on inside you, he says, now you are the light of the world. And he says, a city on a hill in the evening, it can't be hidden. The lights pop up like that. He says, and by the way, people don't light a lantern and then put it under some bowl or under the bed, but rather they light a lantern with the purpose of putting it in a place so that it'll give light to everybody in the house. And so then he says, in the same way, let your light shine that others may see and and give praise to God to be drawn to God and, and they themselves cross from death into life. He wants 
us to have an impact on the world. Uh, Jesus Christ came to save the world, and he saves us and says, join with me. And uh, the beautiful analogy of shining our light in a dark world. Well, is there a way to do that? I mean, is it just a, a natural consequence of coming to know him? Or does the Lord really have a strategy for us to kind of um, be proactive with this light shining ministry that he's given us? And the answer is yes, there is a strategy. He wants us to be thoughtful and careful. And there is a wise way to make an impact with this light of Christ on others. And so, in fact, our brief six-verse text is going to answer the question, how can I impact those around me? How can I let Christ's light shine into the darkness so that others can see and come forth and, and have the light of life? Here's the answer to that, because now Paul's um, focus is going to shift from the inner Christian life to how that light shines out and how Walking with Christ, knowing Jesus, being reconciled to God impacts those around us. How do we do that? How do we make a difference? Answer, devote yourselves to prayer. Mm. Being watchful and thankful. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm a prisoner. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly. Well, that's interesting, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward these unbelievers. He calls them outsiders there. He says, make the most of every opportunity you get to shine the light. Verse 6, let your conversation with these outsiders, unbelievers, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. We're going to talk about that, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, sometimes we deal with a whole chapter. Sometimes we walk through 27 verses last Sunday. This time, we're, we're talking about five or six verses, and there is plenty to talk about, especially when he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And so we're going to take a look at this. Uh, this morning, and it divides quite nicely. As I said, the shift in focus, the context now is the, listen, the outworking of the Christian life, the impact potential that we have, and the mandate to make a difference in our sphere of influence. That's very important. You know, it's not just about you getting to heaven and, phew, that was a close one, I'm saved, Right? Jesus says, you have a moral obligation to let that light of life impact others who are lost and stumbling around. And if they take the wrong step, man, perishing is forever. And so he says, we need to take this seriously and to heart. And if you want to make a difference, he says, there are three things you'll need to do. One, be devoted to prayer. So that's verses two through four, two, three, and four. He talks about the importance of prayer. I mean, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> and then secondly, if we want our lives to count, we need to be wise with unbelievers. And thirdly, that's a verse five. That's pretty simple. In verse six, he says, when you're dealing with someone who does not profess to believe in God, could you please be gracious with your words? We're going to talk about this. So let's dive in. 
the crucial role of prayer because nothing happens without this union. And we're going to isolate those for you as he's already has. Uh, nothing happens. Doesn't it make sense? Of course, from the union and communion, that's where we get the word, with our Savior, you know, we didn't just turn over a new leaf. We didn't get religious. We didn't find religion. The living God found us and transformed us. And, and it's from that abiding, Jesus called. He said, apart from me, you can't do one thing I'm talking about. He said, apart from me, unless you abide. He says, I'm like the vine. You're the branch. I give you life. So devote yourself to prayer. Just saying, make sure the flow and the intimacy with God, the prayerfulness of your life is, is, is devoted because from that will emanate, you increase the brilliance of the light and the quality of the light. And so it makes sense to me that if he's saying, listen, you, you want to impact others? I mean, it's a given. We already know if we want our moral behavior to change, we're going to need help with that. So we got that. But he says, if you want to make a difference in your unbelieving friend, your coworker, your family, your spouse, you're going to have to be a prayerful person. And so he talks about that here. Devote yourself to prayer. The word devote, let's talk about that. It's not really a call to pray with intensity or fervor or devotion. That's, I mean, that's important too, especially at times. Uh, but here the word devoted means to pray habitually, um, consistently, uh, to persevere at prayer, to keep at it. And in fact, uh, the King James nails it with continue, but it's a lot stronger than continue. Ten times that, that verb is used to devote yourself to prayer, and it really means never give up. One translation, don't faint, like the, like the boys in the garden, I should call them men, right, with Jesus, and they're falling asleep because it's a heavy situation. He says, don't go to sleep on me, guys. Pray to pray. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. Be devoted. It's important. Now, be devoted to prayer to continue at it, not to give up, not to be discouraged. Listen to, to Jesus, our Lord. In Luke 18 and verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. First Thessalonians, really uh, famous uh, passage in verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Well, obviously, you notice we have lives, and we can't always be in our closet praying to God. I mean, we have lives to live. He says, be prayerful all the time. No matter what you're doing on the back uh, burner of your soul, to be prayerful, to be listening, to be watchful, as the word is spiritually Alert, because this is important. Romans 12, 12, put it this way. Rejoice in hope, be patient in trouble, and then he says, and keep on praying. Keep at it. So why the exhortation to, hey, devote yourself, make it a priority, work at it, be intentional, start your day, end your, your day, fill your day with prayer. Why does he have to do this? Because it's so hard. It's so easy to be discouraged that he has to say, listen, if, you, if this Christian life is going to work, you need to be prayerful people. 
You need to do the one thing that everybody has trouble doing. It's to discipline, to quiet ourselves, and bring our weary souls into the presence of God. Now, I've got seven reasons why we need to be called to devote ourselves to prayer if we want to make a difference in anybody's life, including our own. But why, why is prayer so difficult? And it is difficult. Number one, we get discouraged. So he's saying, hey, devote yourself. Keep at it, man. We get discouraged when, when we don't see immediate results. So, you know, you prayed for something and then, you know, or it goes in a different direction than you had asked, which, by the way, is a blessing in disguise because thank God he doesn't always give us what we ask for. Amen. <laughs> We've learned that one the hard way. And so he's saying, well, listen, don't give up. Keep at it because timing is everything. People, listen. God really heard my prayer. God answered this prayer. And, and that means he said yes immediately. That's what that means. How about when he said he answers all of our prayers, people? There's not a prayer that, that God does not answer. He has three answers. Yes, right now, here you go. Or no, I've got something better and something you don't realize is going on here. Or thirdly, wait. Just hold on, cowboy. Just hold on. But, you know, we always say, oh, God, God answered the prayer this time because you got what you wanted when you wanted it. No, don't get discouraged, you know. He says, keep at it. The second reason that we need to be told to devote ourselves to prayer is because it's so hard. We are overstimulated people. We have so much mental clutter. We're hoarders. I mean, there's a lot going on in the information age we are attached to cell phones, to iPhones, to smartphones, to dumb phones. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're on Facebook. I watch young people all the time. They're multitasking. The television's on. They've got earbuds on. They're t and they're checking Facebook, sliding down like, not, you know, like, like, you know. There are so many emotions and texting and alarms going off. You're so stimulated that when Jesus said, here's what you do. Go into your closet with nothing and nobody and no distractions and talk to your father in heaven. What? <laughs> That's a scary thought. There's no other, nothing, nothing, no music. Now, you can bring some music in there if it helps you. Uh, man, I'll lie. You get in the car and it's alone and people start to panic. It's quiet in there. You turn on the radio right away. You come into the house. It's quiet. Turn on the television because we're not good at, and this is prayer, Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. Clear the deck of all that stuff. And the reason why we don't want to pray is because it's so awkward and boring compared to what we're used to with the bling, 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 bling. The third reason here is that we lack the faith to understand that prayer is accomplishing something. So we think, hey, I got to get busy. I got things to do. James chapter 5, verse 17 says, the prayer of a person set right with God is powerful and effective. You are doing something, and it's such the wrong idea to think, I got to get busy. I got to start my day. I got to do something. I got to do something that I can see and feel and touch. 
You, my friend, you will get more done with a half an hour or 10 minutes with God on the line than 10 weeks or more of you doing your own thing out with your own willpower and all of that. You're doing something. Devote yourself to prayer so that he'll use you. You're being an effective. You're moving the hand of God. That's being productive. <laughs> Moving on. Third, uh, we don't understand God's grace and forgiveness and love. And so we end up avoiding intimacy. Listen, if you walk around feeling like Eeyore, I'm always falling short. I can't live the Christian life. I've got all of these struggles and you're performance oriented where that you just feel like God doesn't want to be around you because you're such a loser or you're broken or you don't have it all together. Dude, listen, I've got some good news. He carried your sins away. He bled out for those things that are keeping you from coming fully into his presence. He knows all about them. He paid for them. He said, I've removed them from you. The curtain that separated you has been torn in two from top to bottom. And we're outside as if the curtain still existed. He's saying, come on in. The things that you're embarrassed about or, or fearful over, I've dealt with them. Mention them and they're gone. They're gone anyway. They're gone completely. I had a professor in Bible college who said, uh, I had this student. He said he was in line in the cafeteria. The student was a friend of his. The student didn't have the money to pay for his lunch. He left his wallet in his dorm, like most students do. <laughs> And the guy whipped out a 20. He said, you can get, take care of it later if you want, whatever, right? So for the longest time, the professor noticed that the guy, the young man, was avoiding him all the time. He caught him a couple times, like, where is the guy? You know, he used to come by my office, you know? And he saw him one day down the hallway, and he caught his eye and saw him go and turn and walk away. And he went around the other way and met him and went, whoa, surprise. And he grabbed the kid and he says, it's you, it's your presence. I don't need your $20. It's not about the $20. I miss you, I miss talking to you. Stop this. It's not about the sin and the flaw and the character problem and the mess you've made. He died and bled for that. He carried away. He removed it as far as the east is from the west. And you're still letting it affect you, dragging your heels. No, he doesn't want to hear from me. Or you're not thoroughly at ease with your own self. Forgive yourself. He forgave you. Come on in. He says, you can come in as if you've never sinned. Why? He says, can I reason with you? Isaiah chapter 1. Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were stained and scarlet and terrible, they're white as snow. Come on in here, kid. Let me love you. He misses us when we do that kind of thing. And, and next, Quite frankly, we have a sin nature that resists God. You have a sinful nature that wants nothing to do with God or spiritual things. I don't know if you've ever felt the prompt of your sinful nature when you... 
You have one. Your wife has told you this, right? <laughs> You've got a sinful nature. It's the last place your sinful nature wants to be is on its knees, bowing to a sovereign Lord who's telling it, we must deny you and pick up our cross and crucify you daily. You think it wants to go and hear that? Oh, no, it's got other things it's like you to do today. <laughs> and it lets you know, stay out of the closet, man. Stay out of the closet if you know what's good for you. Next, we're spiritually lazy. We need to be told, devote yourself to prayer. You know, <laughs> listen how Charles Spurgeon put it. The moment you wake up in the morning, all your hopes and dreams for that day rush at you like wild animals. The first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And that, my friend, is going to take effort and discipline. Come on. Going to take some effort. Get organized inwardly. And it's the, it's the reason why people don't want to do it. And the last thing, the last reason God needs to say, hey, stick with it. You know, don't get discouraged. Keep at prayer because we forget about the devil. Now, think, think, think of the devil's point of view in this. When you bow your heart before God, who said, ask me anything and I'll do it in my name. When the scriptures, and he knows the scriptures, that when you connect with the living God, God says that's going to be powerful and effective. When you connect with God, the devil's kingdom diminishes because you are increasing. Your sphere of influence is being affected. Lives are being set free. Uh, situations are being resolved. God is working. He wants to keep you from that position. And so he's going to come up with diversions and false ideas and unrealistic expectations that it's going to be terrible and you're, you're going to be in there for so long and it's going to be awful and boring and he'll turn it into lists and to, to make it something you just dread instead of the beautiful communing with the love and the, the goodness of being with God our Father. He's just going to make it unappealing. You've heard the little limerick, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on their knees. There's an element of spiritual a warfare that keeps you from. So he says, if you want to see anybody touched by your Christian life, you've got to be prayerful. You've got to be prayerful. Now, the real benefit of prayer is not to get stuff or not to have a divine concierge, okay, that, or a waiter that we just give our orders in. Yes, he says, make requests of me, but the real thing about prayer is the soul gets transformed in the presence of the one who made us. There is nothing like just sitting. When you're really connecting, you know, and I just, I like to worship like this. I just do. I get prayerful that way. And if I'm just sitting there like that, and maybe there's some instrumental music going on, and I feel the presence of God, I'm telling you what, listen, and you know this well, the wounds, the wounds that we all have, they're comforted. 
He binds up our broken heart. He transforms us in his presence. That's where the depth comes from. That's where your faith grows. It's because when, when God will uh, connect with you, you're like, you know, that bleeding woman who was following Jesus in the crowd, right? And she's hemorrhaging, and nobody knows what's going on. And she just says, if I just connect with him, it'll stop the bleeding. And she grabs the robe and power, and Jesus stops and goes, hold everything here. And the crowd goes, you know, piles up on him. He says, who touched me? And everybody's like, who touched you, man? Everybody's touching you. You see the crowd, they're going to crush you to death. How can you ask who's touched you? And he says, who touched me? Because power has come out of me and went into somebody. Who did it? It's me. (laughs) It's me, right? When that thing happens, the bleeding stops. That's where it is. It's in his presence. And what does it mean? It take a walk with them. Stand if you have to. Uh, sit or kneel. I love to walk. I'll walk this sanctuary many, many, many times. I'm a walker when I talk to the Lord. Talk out loud so you don't drift away. Do what works for you, but be devoted to prayer. If you want your life to count, you have to be a prayerful person. But the best thing of all is not getting the stuff It's being with him. Trying to have a quiet time. I don't even want to know the percent of Christians who have carved out a daily or mostly daily time, either in the morning or at lunchtime or in the evening. Yes, we do praying all day long. Yes, we're we're, we're petitioning God. We're requesting God. We're thanking God. We're worshiping God. Those are all the different verbs used for prayer. We do that all day long in the shower and while we're driving and running errands and while we're even talking in a situation, we could be like, Lord, help me, help me, help me. But that's not the same as a slow yourself down. This is my little time where I open the Bible and I sit down and I open my heart and I say, Lord, these are the things that concern me today. I like, there's an acronym, ACTS, for the book of ACTS, I've used it throughout my life. I really like it. It's adoration, just just loving on God. Just tell him how great and good he is and all of this. Just and, and then confession. Here's, here's what's going on with my marriage. Here's all my bad attitudes. You know, yesterday I, I was in line and it was taking forever and I'm rolling my eyes and making a big scene. Lord, just forgive me for that. Change me, help me, that kind of thing. Thanksgiving, all the Psalms. The, the worship songs, we, we sang our prayers this morning. Supplication is just a request. He says, ask. James says, you know why you don't have? Because you're not asking. Jesus said at the last supper, the night he was betrayed, ask me. Up till now, you're not asking me anything. Ask in my name. It's in my will. I will do whatever you're asking. Ask away that your joy might be complete. Those are big, wonderful promises. You know what the whole point is, and then we'll move on. Listen, Adam walked, the original design was this fellowship, and that's what prayer is designed to do, is kind of bring back what was started. And what was started was Adam walking with God in the cool of the day. 
They just hung out together. And, and he has to cry all the time still. Why do we make our father cry? Adam, where are you? Where are you, man? Well, I'm afraid. I've got this. I'm off doing that. I'm hiding behind this thing here because intimacy with you. I'm not devoted. He's asking. He's asking right now. Fill in your name. John, where are you? Where are you? It's me. It's your dad. Come on. Oh, we hit a vein there. <laughs> Let me continue on here. A couple characteristics of this prayer. Uh, life. He says, be watchful. So I love this quick definition. It's, it means to keep awake to when you pray and your life with God, be alert to the actual realities of your present spiritual circumstances, your threats, your, your, your reality, right? You have to be awake. What's going on in your friends that you see? Right? You have to be alert. What kind of pitfalls are happening in your life? That's going to make prayer work. And then he says, be thankful. Another great quick uh, a remark about a uh, quote. Uh, Gratitude guards the one petitioning from the attitude of proud presumption. Like these are things well-deserved, Gratitude also guards the petitioner from bitter resentment when God decides to answer differently. Here's the thing about a grateful tone with God. The person who realizes, but for the grace of God, I could have perished and deserve to eternally perish. Instead, for some odd reason, known only to God and his grace, nothing good about you or me, he pre selected us to know him. That ought to make us grateful so that we are grateful just to be alive and to, be, to find the good favor of God Almighty, let alone be able to talk to him about things that are on our hearts. So that kind of person who's that kind of grateful doesn't have an attitude I've prayed 33 years for. You know, we just don't do things like that because we're, we're blessed to be alive. We're blessed to not be going to the bad heaven, as my little toddler used to call it. She asked me, three years old, Daddy, where's the bad heaven? And I'm like, wow, kids know, kids know. I didn't tell her. You don't tell kids until they're about nine or 10 about that kind of stuff. My humble advice to you or opinion, I should say. And so be thankful, be watchful. And he says, I got a couple prayer requests. He says, in this thing called ministry and bring in the good news, would you pray for open doors? Because you know what? If God doesn't open a door, folks, for you to share the gospel, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get through that door. But many people today, they use a crowbar. They mug people in the name of Jesus. All right? Do not mug people with the gospel. You know? Let God open the door. Do you see what Paul's saying? Open a door for me in prison, which God did. 
He, he'll tell the Philippians later in the, in, from the same place, wow, God opened the door of ministry. Caesar's household is all heard, and there are, some of them are believers. Or he's saying, open a door that may God open a door in front of Nero that'll have the opportunity. Unless God provides the divine appointment, the setup, the people, the questions, the soft heart, the moment, unless God sets it up, what? So he says, pray that God open a door for you. Open a door for you. It's a beautiful thing when he does that. And then the second request is the gift of clarity. So if God opens a door, but you're unclear, you get all fuddled up, you know, you're tripping over your words. And, you know, I told the first uh, service about a time uh, we were handing out tracks on the corner of uh, some street. And uh, we walked by this tenement building. It was in the city. And there were a few guys sitting on the steps. And one of the guys said, come on over here. And I said, yeah, we came over. And he goes, what are you guys talking about? Talking about God and the Bible and all of that? And we said, yeah. And he said, okay, listen, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. I want you to take your best shot. I want to listen with an open mind. But I'm giving you 10 minutes. Go. I'm like, (laughs) nobody's ever given me 10 minutes. I mean, I've taken 10 minutes of theirs. But no one's ever said Come on, I'm all ears. And, and I, quite frankly, it took me a little time to warm up to that. You know, where do you start in all of this? Oh, wow. Well, a lot of people feel that way. That's where you say, Lord, look what he's praying for. Clarity. Simple. Stop with the politics. Stop with the, with, with the current trends, the moral trends. Stop with getting distracted. Make it really simple. We were, we're all sinners Jesus became one of us, God in a human body, died on the cross in your place. He paid for your sins. And he rose from the dead, and he said, anyone who believes in him should live forever. There you go. Make it simple, people. Make it simple. That's what he says. So he says, that's something we should do. Moving on, he says, if you want to impact others, then you'll have to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. An interesting word. Now, the new leftist progressive so-called Christian movement would criticize the Bible's use of the term outsiders. They believe that everybody is on the inside, that everybody's okay, and we love everybody the same because God loves everybody the same. That's true. But not everybody, those who are on the outside, cannot enjoy that same love God has for all of his creation. They cannot, listen, benefit from that love because where are they? From the Bible's point of view, this world will crucify people who say uh, people who of non-faith, non-Christian faith are on the outside. They hate that. That's not our idea. <laughs> it's not our idea. It's the Bible saying, God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should come from the outside and to all those who call upon his name shall be adopted into God's family. To all who have received him, to have called on his name, to them he gave the right to become inside. You see, and that's God's heart. 
And if you are on the outside here and you die on the outside, Revelation, the last chapters say that that outside of heaven, and he says the same word, outside of heaven, are the sexually immoral, are the sorcerers, those who practice magic, occultic arts, those who lie and love falsehood. They're on the outside. This is why he says, devote yourself to prayer, man. There are people on the outside. How are we going to get them on the inside if you're trying in your own power? He says, first of all, I want you to be wise. The word there means use skill, discernment. Stop and think who you're dealing with. What did Jesus tell us? He said, I will make you fishermen of men's souls. That's really generally speaking to all of us that that light is supposed to draw in. Now, different fish bite at different things. They, they, you use different strategies depending on the kind of fish that you're dealing with. That's what wisdom is. Who do you have in front of you, man? Stop and think. You wouldn't talk to a kid who was raised in church and went to Christian school and has evangelical parents and upbringing, and now he's an atheist. You don't talk to him the same way you would talk to somebody else, so a drug user or an alcoholic or, or somebody who has their life completely together. They're an upstanding moral citizen, and they put to shame some of the Christians regarding their moral goodness. Who do you got? Wisdom, wisdom. Who's on the line there? How do you build a bridge there? Wisdom, looking for a felt need. Somebody's going through a divorce. Oh, is there a need there? Can we talk about Jesus in light of the brokenness, the feeling of betrayal? Jesus was betrayed. He knows about that. I mean, people who have financial needs, people who are hurting, people who are lonely, people who just got fired. That's usually, in this world, that's usually how God has to get our attention. And it's not till we're knocked down on our back. There's only one viewpoint from when you're laying down on the ground, on your back. Which way are you looking? You're looking up, finally, he says, finally. And people are open, so use wisdom. Is there a line in here where it says, where's the crack in the armor, right? And like I said, you don't have to use a crowbar. You don't have to break yourself into the house. You just use wisdom. Using wisdom, he says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew, to Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. To those who were weak in faith, I, I, I built a bridge. To those who are strong in their faith, I relate. What's their relatable? Use wisdom. Wisdom will also tell you when to press in and when to pull back, when to bring it and when to don't say anything this Thanksgiving. They already heard. They know where you stand they could tell you better than you could tell them the gospel, all right? So, so you'll have to know by the prompting of God's wisdom because we, we have a living relationship with God. That's why you have to be prayerful. There's no do's and there's no, you know, easy check every Thanksgiving. I say the same thing and I say the same thing to everybody because it's the gospel and they're lost and I'm gonna say it every single time in the exact same way I always say it. no. That's why he says be devoted in prayer because as you're praying in the car going in, as you're prayerful sitting at the table, you know inside, you've got your hands up inside and you're just going, God, talk to me here. He'll prompt, he'll shut you down or he'll open you up. 
But you got to be prayerful. You got to be prayerful. You got to use wisdom. You got to have wisdom. Jesus says, you know, there are some people do not throw the pearls down. They're going to step on the pearls. My pearls, he's saying. He calls them my pearls. These are my pearls, people. I'm entrusting you with the pearls of heaven. Could you not just throw them down on the ground and let people trample over them? And then he says, trust me, they'll trample on my pearls and then they'll turn on you and tear you to pieces. That's what he says. How do I know what to do? Wisdom. Wisdom. Where do I get the wisdom? Be devoted in prayer. Oh, see, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> wisdom to buy up the time. That's what uh, make the most of every opportunity says, listen, folks, nobody in this room is guaranteed five minutes from now. Nobody is guaranteed. So if you've got somebody on the line, strike while the iron is hot. All right? Because you don't know. Oh, you know, you're going to make a visit to grandma and grandpa before they pass away. You may not get a two-minute warning in your ear. Time to talk to grandma and grandpa. That's all he's saying. Is, is, this is what I do in my life. I do not. I used to, 30 years ago, just kind of mug people for Jesus, right? I just, in your face all the time because you're going to hell and you need the Lord, you know? But I've kind of grown up. <laughs> I have. I mean, I'm not in people's faces, but listen, this is how I know. When somebody is uniquely talkative to me or uniquely there's a warmth there, there's something going on, the conversation comes up, it's like, whoa, wow, yeah, that's funny that you ask, <laughs> you know? Boom, that's what he's talking about. That's how I know when God is saying green light, green light, green light, right? It's asking for green lights, being alert, which he just called you to do, be prayerful for them, looking for them, and when it flashes, to buy it up. That's what it means. Just, I'll take that moment and then bring it, bring it. It's really important. I've told you this. I, I'm going to go ahead and use it, the obituary there. Let me read it to you here. This is an obituary of a man, Lamming, Dr. Robert, born March 25th, 1936, and he died September 8th, 2001. Cherished father, friend, and family dentist died at UCSF on Saturday at 12 noon of acute leukemia. And then it goes on to talk about his life. What it doesn't say is that I was in the bed next to him when he died as a patient with lymphoma, a cousin of leukemia. And so let me tell you about that week. He said to me as we were in a bed next to another bed, he said, you know what's funny? He said, every time that I come for my chemotherapy, you're in the next bed. Have you noticed that? He said, on the same days of the week, and in, there are several rooms, and we end up in the same room next to each other all the time. What's going on with that? And I said, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I shared the gospel with him, and he says, oh, the gospel. My daughter 
is a born-again Christian and has been after me for years to give my heart to the Lord. I said, you know, sir, when we're having chemotherapy for life-threatening diseases, now would be a good time to take her up on that. And I said, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? And this is going on for a couple times, you know. And I almost asked the nurse, please put me next to him every single time. And I never got around to it, but every single time, there he was. And so we talked and talked. And then one day he said, you know what? I'm tired of fighting. I want to know God's peace. So I gave him a few scriptures. He cried. He accepted the Lord with this beautiful prayer. And I told you this before. The daughter comes running in with a Bible, right? And he says, too late. We already did it. (laughs) And she's crying and we're rejoicing. And listen, Saturday came. I was in the bed. He was in the bed. He said, I'm having trouble breathing. They put an oxygen mask on him in front of me and pushed him away around 11 o'clock. And as he passed, he looked at me and the mask was on his face and I saw this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You. Now let's read that again. Lamming, Dr. Robert Sr., most of his life lived as a non Christian, an unbeliever on the outside. Cherished father, friend, and family dentist died at UCSF on Saturday at 12 noon of acute leukemia and entered into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Well, listen, listen, thank you. You can go back to the verse. Listen. I do pray. I pray for opportunities. I pray. And when I'm out and about, listen, you do not have to be an evangelist. There are many people in here who do not have the gift of evangelism. The Bible, you are not an expert. You cannot recall where the Bible passages are because you're not supposed to. You're not called to do that. It's okay to be you and to love people to the Lord and to look for opportunities to invite people to church because you're not a words person. But let me tell you this. You're pretty good at telling a joke. You're pretty good at giving directions. If somebody said, hey, how do we get down to New York Pie? It's down on 4th Street or wherever. Where is it? It's downtown somewhere, right? You'd be okay. You'd be okay. You would tell the directions. You'd be very clear. You did this, you do this, you do this, right? Right. If good news came your way, Mr. or Mrs. Introvert, who I love, who I'm glad you're here, and who you should not feel guilty, God does not say, thou shalt become an, uh, uh, an extrovert, right? I hope you've gotten over that. It's okay to be quiet and inward. But, if you got some good news, you'd be okay. You'd be very expressive. You'd be good at it. So find the balance. Find the balance. Do not make an excuse for yourself. If God opens the door, let him open the door. If God prompts your heart, let him prompt your heart. If God fills your mouth, say 
something. You have to say something. The only reason most of us don't like to say something is not so much that we're introverted, but because it causes problems and it makes things uncomfortable when we have to say the gospel, which the world finds very offensive. So we need to get over that. We're not going to be everybody's best friend. And no, a lot of people don't appreciate being told, hey, you're on the wrong road. You're in danger. They don't like to hear that. We need to get over that. But you know, I do want to say to you, oh, introverted, non-gifted in this area person, it's okay. Change the diapers. Love your kids. Dad, work hard. Be who God made you to be. And when people ask you, what's up with your life? I like what I see. Then you're able to share. Amen? There's, a, there's one more verse here, I believe. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. What does that mean? So that you may know how to answer everyone. And so finally, he says, if you're going to make an impact, you've got to be a prayerful person. You've got to use wisdom in all of these interactions and then speak graciously. Speak graciously. So the context still is of the outsiders. So uh, he says, the basic tenor of our conversations, uh, which is what, 20,000 words a day if you're a woman. Sorry, 13,000 <laughs> words a day if you're a man. It needs to be full of grace. What does that mean? Well, when you hear the term full of grace, you should be thinking of what the Bible says about Jesus. Because listen, I'll read it to you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's what the idea is. The Lord, by his spirit, has made his home in our hearts. And how does the Bible describe the Lord? The Lord it was full of grace. And so it goes on in Luke chapter 4 to say this about the Lord. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That's amazing. In the Greek, it, it's like honey flowing from his lips. Gracious Words. Well, of course, because he was full of grace and truth. From Jesus' lips came these amazing grace-filled words. Now, his words, can you imagine? That's God in a body. God speaking, unfiltered. You're hearing the audible voice of God all, every time Jesus opens his mouth. And that could explain why. When the guards were sent out to bring him in from the temple courts, the guards came back empty-handed. And the Supreme Court justices were saying, where is he? We told you, we ordered you to bring that man in. And they said, have you ever heard him? Have you? No one talks the way this guy talks, talks. It's this beautiful, what the word means there is pleasantness, attractiveness, a warm, heartwarming charm, purposeful, uplifting, fitting, hopeful, clean, witty, loving, other-centered, joyful. Now, he had some harsh words to say. John chapter 8, he had a knockdown, drag-out, terrible exchange with the Pharisees. 
But he did it even with the 60 verses when he talks about hell. Jesus talks 60 verses about the terrors of hell. He does so graciously with this pathos, with this sympathy, with this righteousness that makes sense and that is cushioned with humility and kindness. Oh, to hear how he did even that gracefully. Grace, grace doesn't just talk sweet all the time at the expense of truth, but it delivers the harder realities of life sensitively with consideration and even with kindness. Now, of course, where is this gracious God? He's, he's in your heart. He's in my heart. But the spirit of, of the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Christ. Christ, the fullness of grace. Where is he? He's in us. Fullness of grace is here. The lips have to speak in the same sort of ways. Now, Paul calls us an ambassador for Christ. We represent him. This is the idea here. So I was watching some confirmation hearings on ambassador wannabes. The president nominated some, some ambassadors, uh, some folks to fill the position of ambassador. And in this case, what I was watching was to Argentina. And John McCain was firing these questions. Have you ever been there? No, I've never been there. Well, do you speak Spanish? No, I don't speak Spanish. Poquito. <laughs> Nobody left there either. Um, so yeah. you've never been there. Do you know the president there of Argentina? No, we've never met. Okay, so you don't know the president. You've never been to the country. And then he asked, he said, what are the United States' interests there in that country? Crickets. There was nothing. There was nothing, right? So he rolled his eyes and he said, wow, so much for being qualified, right? Well, listen, you're an ambassador. You're going to speak the language. Do you speak the language of, of the one you represent? Have you, have you been? Uh, you're a citizen of heaven. Do you know what it's like there? Do you know how he is, how he talks, what his character's like? Do you know what his interests are? He has some vested interests to hear. Do you know any of that? Well, then let it happen, folks. Let it happen that your words be uplifting and right. No coarse jesting, being rude or insensitive or short with people. How are you ever going to, nobody's going to ask you for the hope when you're acting just like them. Look at that last phrase so that you will, will know how to answer everybody. Here's what he's saying. No crowbars needed. If you live the way you should be living, contrary to this world, loving your enemies, who does that? Being kind to people who use you and abuse you, being kind. A soft answer turns away wrath. Go in the second mile. Who thought they don't want to go the first mile? And here you are not only going the first mile, but you say, hey, can I go a second mile here? Turning the other cheek, these are kinds of things that the people, outsiders, take notice for giving people who hurt you, not talking smack about people, not trying to get even. And then they see you being nice to somebody you should not necessarily be nice to. They will ask you, what's up with that? What do you mean you're waiting until you're married to consummate the marriage? What? Who does that? 
all Christians do. What, why, why do you do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense anymore. Right? Oh, well, because the Lord says that he has chosen a husband and a wife, and he knows he's going to put us together, but we abstain from that because sexual intimacy is earned through a commitment before God, a commitment to love one another for life. And that's what the gift of intimacy is about. You see, there was an open door because of a a prayerful consideration, a wise thing to say, a gracious thing to say. They caught wind, and now they're asking you. That's what Peter says. Always listen, and we're wrapping up here. Always be ready to give an account, to answer those who ask you for the hope that's in you. Season with salt is to make them thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. And so he's saying, you know, you ought to be saying things that make people, that draw people. The Samaritan woman, the last person in the world who should be talking to the village men, she comes in and she says, hey man, I just met a, a guy who knew everything about me. And I, he's never met me, but he knew everything. He was like calling off all my marriages. How would he know that? And he said, the guy I'm living with now is actually not my husband. Who would have told him that? Could he be the Christ? She made the whole town thirsty. And they, because the thirst drives you to satiate came looking for the living water and found it. That's what he's saying. Think about what you're saying. Make people thirsty. So when they come, you have something to say. Let me tell you. I'll close with one last one. Uh, The guys and I were at a restaurant having hamburgers. We're just acting ourselves. We were having fun. We were talking. We left a big tip. We went back again to the same place. It was kind of our hangout. And the waitress said, what's up with you guys? Why are you all so happy? You're always happy. Everything's happy, happy, and up, and bright, and shiny. It's just kind of bright over there. It's very up, and you guys are so generous. And what, what? I want thirsty. She's thirsty. She wants to know because there's been some wisdom with outsiders. She's looking. They're watching. I uh, the chance to say, well, we're... We're, we all go to the same church. We're Christians. Oh. So she connects the behavior with the reputation now with the gospel and salvation. And now she's open and asking questions. And we stood ready to supply the answers. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to be these things. And we need your grace and your help. We pray, Father, Lord, that you'd help us in, in all of our ways to be prayerful. Lord, to just take away that, that barrier in our hearts that keeps us from pouring our hearts out before the God who loves us so very much. Lord, help us to use wisdom the way we live and speak before unbelievers so that the light could attract them in. Father God, we pray that you'd help our words reflect 
rightly the kind of God you are. A good, good Father, morally pure, kind and loving. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.